Thank you, everybody, for coming this evening. So we'll continue this evening with our discussion of the Bhagavat Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami. We're dealing with a section of the text which is explaining the nature of the absolute truth, specifically a personal understanding of the Supreme Bhagavan. Just as a reminder, this section of the Bhagavat Sandarbha, well, of the whole Sandarbha, the Sat Sandarbhas, which are Sat Sandarbhas, six Sandarbhas, dealing with the nature of what is a proper methodology for acquiring reliable knowledge. And once we have determined what's a reliable way of acquiring knowledge, unfortunately it's not with our external senses, although most of us feel that it is. We feel that everything that comes through our senses is more or less a standard of knowledge which is the best. Unfortunately, your standard of knowledge and my standard of knowledge, if we depend on our senses, is not going to always be in sync. You may feel it's cold in here and Bhakti Ross is feeling it's hot. <laughs> so, the senses oftentimes do not give us a reliable standard. So therefore, what's come to be reliable standard that's agreed upon by many of the the deep thinkers, the saints, the sadhus, the sages of the world, has uh, they've all concluded, for the most part. I mean, there are many disciplines of spiritual understanding and training within this world, but for the most part some of the deepest thinkers have arrived at the conclusion that we can rely on scripture. If it's presented properly, we can rely on the revelations of those people who have done real soul searching in this world. And those personalities who have plumbed the depths of their selves and the depths of a universal consciousness which is available coming down from a higher source. Fortunately for us, they've, they've left behind roadmaps in the forms of the scriptures which are themselves revelation. That's kind of where we're going tonight, talking about having a revelation in regards to uh, experiencing transcendental revelation, realization. This section of the Satsandarbhas, the Bhagavatsandarbha, going on through the Sambandha portion, it began in the Tattvasandarbha, then we have the Bhagavatsandarbha, the Paramatmasandarbha, the Krishna Sandarbha, and there's one core verse from these ancient scriptures which is which gives 
us a perspective on the different approaches most individuals have towards transcendence or towards knowing the absolute truth, the supreme truth, the supreme Lord, whatever nomenclature we may apply, entering into spiritual revelation. Varanti tat tat vavidas tatvam yajjanamadvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavan iti sabjate. Sincere, serious seekers of spiritual revolution, revelation look upon the supreme non-dual absolute according to their mode of worship. And in doing so, they give these nomenclatures, Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. Brahman is a general nomenclature towards that supreme transcendent consciousness that exemplifies its all-pervasive nature. We feel, even in our environment here, in the material realm, we feel there is an all-pervading consciousness that runs through everything. So they refer to that as Brahman. Now when we go a little deeper in our approach to that all-pervading spiritual energy that we feel around us, if we have any, if we're tuned in at all, if we go a little deeper, we can see that there must be some intelligence to it. It's probably not happening by chance. Even you look at a snowflake and the unlimited designs in, in the snowflakes, if you were to take, put, take and put them under a microscope, it's phenomenal. What to speak of all the other wonders of the world. There might be a consciousness behind it. They say when we look at the Absolute and conceive that there might be an all-pervading consciousness behind everything that we perceive in our environment, we call that Paramatma, a Paramatma conception. So this non-dual Absolute, this non-dual Absolute spiritual consciousness can be looked as Brahmati, Brahman, Paramatmati, and Bhagavan Iti Sabjute. Bhagavan. So what does this mean, Bhagavan? Well that's where we are now in the Bhagavat Sandarbha. We're looking to beyond just a general understanding that there's spiritual there's a spiritual current running through everything. We're looking beyond that. We're looking beyond the fact that that spiritual current must have some conscious plan. There must be some conscious cognition. Not it, because there's cognition in myself. I'm, I'm cognitive of my body, cognitive of my environment. So I have some some. Cognition, it's not just that I exist, but I exist and I know I exist. That must be, 
That's a pretty amazing thing. So, when we come to the Bhagavan conception of the Absolute, again we look to ourselves and we say, we exist, we know we exist, and we're happy about it. It's a good existence, for the most part, unless we somehow throw a wrench in the works and then we have to, uh, we're confronted with with circumstances resulting from our own actions. And even in those extraordinary circumstances when we think that everything's going against us and we're not responsible for what's come our way, these great sages say, well, if we look deeply, we may have to go back even beyond this lifetime you're generally responsible for what you what you reap what you sow i'm sorry you reap what you sow so and we could see that i mean look look at the world anybody that cannot conceive of the of the possibility of karma has not thought about it hardly at all why was I born in this country and not a third world country? Why? Look, I made it to 68, you know, going on 70 here. How did I make it so long? And I could have been born in Ethiopia and not even made it six months. I could have died of dysentery or starvation. So what am I to conceive of the absolute if it is a person, if there is a personality there, am I to conceive of that personality as being discriminatory with the different souls that are in the world? And that I I just got this is a I I draw the, drew the long straw and in the other environment I could have drawn the short straw was it just by chance the drawing of straws that here I am I have a brain it kind of functions I've kind of made it through life I haven't suffered a lot not that I haven't suffered but comparatively I'm coming out with you know four two two arms two legs my head still attached to my shoulders this next conception of the absolute Bhagavan, that there is a supreme personality that has his own pleasurable existence like I seek my pleasurable existence. More than he's just an order supplier that makes the snowflakes beautiful within the world, that he actually has his own world and his own environment. So now we come to the Bhagavan conception where we have not only existence, not only cognition of existence, but a seeking of pleasurable existence inherent in that Supreme Personality, just like there is some pleasure inherent in ourselves. And we see that the people that seek the inherent pleasure of themselves, those people that can pull themselves away from the world, 
and sensual pleasure and contemplate their own self, they find a built-in pleasure. They find a built-in pleasure that's, that's with them. So the subject is quite, quite, it just draws us, this, this Bhagavat, this, this conception of the Absolute himself having a pleasurable existence and his pleasure when he contemplates ex- far exceeds anything that we can with our little pleasure. So we all know the terminology, Satchitananda. The soul is eternal, sat, chit. It has awareness and it seeks ananda. And there's ananda built in. It doesn't have to go out to get that enjoyment. If it can turn off the outside, the enjoyment naturally comes to it. So this Bhagavan conception takes it to the entirety of existence, the entire supreme personality who is who himself has a blissful existence. So we're at this part of the Bhagavat Sandarbha where a great sage, Jiva Goswami, is giving us some glimpse through those scriptures into the life of the Lord. Bhagavad. If there is a God, he has his own existence. These sages, they are convinced there's a God. They've experienced that God and they're giving us an entranceway into that experience through their writings, through these Sandarbhas. So this Sandarbha, this Anucheta, this section, these are little these are called spiritual they're just little sections of spiritual truth. That's what an Anucheta is. It's a section of spiritual revelation. This particular section, we can call it simply his name, God's name, his form, his actions, and his attributes are all transcendental. They're not like ours. Ours are material. Our name's material. Our form is material. What's the nature of matter? It doesn't, it doesn't persist. It springs into action. exists for some time and then it dwindles and goes. So our form is not eternal. We know that. Unless anyone here has seen somebody that's eternal and still living in their body after hundreds and hundreds of years, most of us have experienced that everyone around us in due course of time dies. So our form's not eternal or transcendental. Our name certainly isn't, and that will come out as we go forward in in these studies. Our actions, those also are not transcendental here in this plane. Our actions just generally lead to reactions. We hope they're good reactions, but sometimes we don't do the right action and we get the reaction which is wrong. Here, this sage, Jiva Goswami, is talking about Bhagavan, the supreme personality of Godhead. And he's saying that his name, his form, his attributes, everything that he does, it's all on the spiritual platform. It's not like what we do here 
on the material platform. And the whole purpose behind him giving us this doorway into an understanding of the Supreme is so that we ourselves, simply by learning about transcendental knowledge, learning these higher conceptions regarding the Supreme, Absolute, whatever nomenclature you want to apply to that, God, Bhagavan, Buddha, we don't care, but we do want to understand that there can and there is a Supreme Personality. Hearing about uh, hearing about that personality in and of itself is sufficient to end all of our miseries in material existence. That's how powerful these little sections of spiritual truth are. So we've been at this in a while, a while and we will continue here where we left off with the last discussion in this one out of Cheda. And what uh, Jiva Goswami, the sage, brings out at this point is from the Srimad Bhagavatam. He says the following, Only when one becomes free from false identification with the gross and subtle bodies and from material conditioning in general does one attain the riches in the form of direct experience of the Lord's birth and acts. So he's been talking here about the nature of God's appearance and what he does when he appears and you know how all these things are transcendental and one may question well how can we how can we ourselves from our position attain the qualification to enter into these deeper revelations of spiritual spirituality and the spirituality of God himself. Jiva is saying, if you want to know how you can deeply enter into these revelations, you have to become first free from misidentification. We have to become free from false identification with that which is not sought which is not eternal. And our current condition is not eternal. Both gross and subtle. We're pretty sure the body's not eternal. If you're not, in a few years, you will be. Youth has a way of pushing that to the background. And it's, it's quite effective. But we have to give up that identification with the gross body and then he goes on, this verse that he quotes from the Bhagavatam goes on to say, and the subtle body. Not only do we have to realize that the gross body is material, but also the subtle body. There's something beyond your mind and your senses and your false identification with it. So the mind, the senses, the false ego, any 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 way that we have at looking at ourselves which involves not seeing ourselves as the spiritual entity that we are. That's what's being spoken of here. We all live in our own mind. But the mind is part of that very false ego that we have to give up. The mind is that filtering agent whereby we choose this is hot, this is cold, this is right, this is wrong. That 
even that is not our essence. It's not the essence of our being. So the mind, the senses, the false ego, and the gross body. If we want to truly enter into this spiritual understanding, what the author is bringing out here by quoting another scripture, is he's saying that we have to give up material conditioning that makes us think that we're part, that we are this material body, and that we are meant to simply live and exploit this world. We have to get to our spiritual essence in order to fully and deeply understand the Supreme Lord. So if we want to understand his form, his attributes, his name, his actions, and how he is not attached at all to the material world, we ourselves have to detach our, ourselves from the material world. Then we can have what's commonly referred to as a revelation, and that's what's spoken of in the verse. Only then does one attain the direct experience of the Lord's births and acts. That would be a great thing to actually experience on that spiritual level. So that's what's being offered here. Go to your essence and you can know the Lord's essence is basically what's being said. The word sampati, riches, here means direct witnessing. Saksad darshan. Saksad darshan. Eternal darshan. With, with that spiritual of that spiritual plane of transcendental existence which is the Lord's playground. We have our playground and that's the world around us. But God can also have his playground. And you can say, well, why doesn't he play here with us? Maybe he doesn't want to die. If he's God, he doesn't have to. <laughs> he makes the rules. We are here and we know we don't make the rules. I didn't make the choice. And if I did, I made it, might have made the wrong choice. I just ended up an American instead of an Ethiopian or a Chinese man or a woman or a cat or a dog or a cow or a horse. I had no idea what I was, what womb I was going to be, you know, pushed out of when I came here. I didn't have a choice in the matter, but here I am, an old man now, you know, but I got a human body. And I didn't even choose it. So that's the distinction between, that's the first and major distinction we can see in material life. We have no choice in the matter. We can be driving down the road one minute and the next minute we can be crushed up in a bunch of metal and we have no choice in the matter. It's, that's material existence. But there's a spiritual existence if we want to know God's spiritual existence, we can see, we can look to ourselves and detach ourselves from this false existence and then these understandings can come. That's what Jiva Goswami is saying here by quoting this verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam. 
Therefore, the underlying intent is to say that the births and actions of the Lord are manifestations of his bliss as the complete non-dual whole. Bhagavan, Bhagavadananda, Bhagavadananda. He has his own bliss. It doesn't include car wrecks. It doesn't include not knowing whether you're going to be a cat, a dog, a house, I mean a human, a man, a woman, a cow. It doesn't include that. It, it's, he's coming from an all-knowing position, which exceeds that coming from his state of simple inherence in essential being. Swarup Nanda, Ananda. Basically what's being said is his Ananda, his joyfulness, far exceeds what we can conceive as pleasure in our own self. Then Jiva Goswami, he interestingly enough, uh, he quotes another section of the Bhagavatam, which is his primary praman, his primary evidence for all of these spiritual revelations that he's allowing us entrance into, from the prayers of Akrura. If you remember, Akrura went to Vraj to take Krishna to, basically to, to, to be slaughtered by Kamsa, but that's another story. Sridhar Swami, who's this great commentator on the Bhagavatam, which is which Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appreciated so much, he says the father following in regards to that prayer, So do you think that my avatars and their actions are illusory? Do you think that all these avatars of God, the the avatars that create the universes, Buddhas, Varaha, Krishna, Ramachandra, Lord Jesus Christ, all these descending avatars or empowered personalities, as it may be. Do you think that my avatars, this is God speaking, do you think that my avatars and their actions are illusory? Do you think they're just will-o'-the-wisp? That they have no significance? Like silver perceived in an oyster shell. What's the silver in an oyster shell? It's not real silver but it looks like silver. So do you think that these manifestations of my godliness that I allow people to perceive in the world, that's what avatar means, coming down into this world, do you think that they're simply illusory like that silver in an oyster shell? And Akrora answers the Lord. He says, no, not at all. This is your leela. This is your play. You come at your own discretion. You make your own rules. Luckily for us, you do it generally for our benefit. But you don't have to. It's play to you. Then Akrora speaks the next speaks the next two verses beginning with you originally enunciated. Not to veer off the subject, we won't go into those other prayers right now. What's the significance? Krishna sums up the significance of understanding his avatars 
in his discussion to Arjuna in the battlefield of Kurukshetra, Janmakarma Chamedivyam Eva Myoviti Tattvata Toktva Deham Panar Janma Naiti Mamiti Sorjuna Janmakarma Chamedivyam Eva Myoviti Tattvata One who knows the transcendental nature of my appearance and activities. Just knowing that it's not illusory, that it's not like the silver of the oyster shell, that it's actually my Leela. I'm coming at my... No one's forcing me to come. I'm coming of my own volition for your benefit, for the benefit of humanity. I come. If you can understand that, the transcendental nature of my coming, that knowledge in and of itself is sufficient for the ending ending of all material suffering. But you have to know it in truth. And how do we know it in truth? It can, we can go back to this other verse. You have to know it in truth by giving up the misconception that you yourself are of this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in a body, but we're not this body. We're in circumstances, but we've created these circumstances and with good guidance and the blessings of those avatars of God or those that are empowered by him, including his devotees, if we can come to that kind of an understanding of ourselves, then then we can understand how God can descend. And by understanding that, there's no need for us to again be forced into a circumstance not of our own choosing. So it's pretty amazing. One who knows the transcendental nature of my birth and my activities, my descent, my avatars, one who knows that in truth, knowing in truth means I know in truth through my own experience that I am spiritual too. That's involved. That's, that's what's being said also here. We have to know we're not a material body. We're a truly a spirit soul. Then we can understand God's coming to this world and not being forced because it's of his choosing. That knowledge alone is liberating. Moksha. Of course, a devotee doesn't want moksha, but that's also another thing. I'll touch upon where we're going in the next... Uh, this, is, this is the same section. We're now up to section three of this one Anucheta. So, name of God, form, attributes, and activities. This particular section deals with the name. We've already learned about the activities. We've heard and learned enough to know that 
God's activities are not like ours. He's not forced like we are. And his form is not like ours. It's totally transcendental. It can appear and it can disappear as he sees fit. He can be manifested in the whole universe and he can be seen as separate from it. So his appearance, what we would call birth, sometimes he even it even looks like he's born the way we were born. And sometimes he can appear out of a wall or out of a pillar if he so desires. Sometimes he can come out as a child and immediately take the form of a Vishnu with four arms holding clubs and lotuses and conch shells and discs. And then he can turn back into the form of a baby. We can't do these things. These great sadhus, they've, they've seen these things firsthand. And that's what we've just covered. We also can see these and have these revelations firsthand. And it begins with proper hearing. We're not going to experience these revelations by going out through the senses. We have to go in. And if we, as we go in, we realize our true self and we begin to develop spiritual senses. And there's an important verse in that regard. Atashri Krishna Namadi Nambavid Graham Indriya. These Indriyas, these senses, we have some senses, hearing, smelling, seeing, tasting, touching, working senses, arms, legs, so we have some senses, but with those senses, we cannot perceive spirituality. But we can have that entrance into spiritual revelation, beginning with hearing transcendental sound. So that's where we're going now in the, in the next section of this Anucheda. The Lord's name is also of the same transcendental nature. And Jiva is going to go to great lengths to bring out the fact that his, the name of the Supreme is itself transcendental. After establishing that the birth and actions of Bhagavan are transcendental and distinct from those of mortal beings, Srila Jiva Goswami verifies that Krishna's name, names are also spiritual. The Lord is called Anama, nameless, because he does not have material names. Uh, there's a lot here, and we'll take off on that next time. Any questions? I have one. Sure. Um, so if he's nameless, why do we, as humans, put names and put uh, labels on those things? What What's being said here is he's nameless according to material convention. Not saying that he doesn't have names. He has hundreds and millions of names. But those names are all themselves transcendental. 
So what's going to come out as we go forward here is a detailed analysis of names in the world and what their characteristics are and names of the supreme and what those characteristics are. So those transcendental names are themselves not encumbered like the names of the world. They actually are the same as what is designated. That's what spiritual potency is in transcendental sound vibration. So he's going to give us a little bit of entrance into spiritual sound vibration and explain that even though I may have I may call my son Padma Lochan, lotus-eyed child, Padma Lochan, but he could be blind. So out of kindness, I'm saying, my son, let's name him Padma Lochan. I realize he's blind. So the characteristics of this world that we can attribute to certain objects of the world don't necessarily have to be indicative of the true situation. But when we look to the names of the Supreme, like Krishna, in Sanskrit, Krishna means all-attractive. So when we say Krishna, it means all-attractive. It is all-attractive. The attributes on the spiritual plane are indicative of what's being represented there. So that's the difference in Vedic sound, or Subda Brahman, they call it, transcendental sound, and material sound. The sounds here may not necessarily imbibe the characteristics of what's being described, whereas in the spiritual realm, and specifically with transcendental sounds, even down to the letters themselves are eternal it's it's a real interesting section. Does that kind of answer your question? I, I'm just going to have to learn more about the material versus the. We all do. The <laughs> lot. We, uh, you're you're not alone there. We all got a a lot to understand. That's why we have these classes, and we hear from from those people that have have actually gone all the way through the revelation. They've actually come to a point of transcend, transcendent revelation. And they give us an entrance point so that throughout our life we can ourselves aspire to have a true, a true, and I say that with some emphasis, a true spiritual experience to its core. Really, you know. Aren't we having one every day when we walk outside? You're having an experience. But is it, it's not of the nature that's being spoken of here. Yes, we're having many experiences. And according to the, the vibration of our consciousness, where our consciousness are, the more we see everything around us as, being, as coming from the, from, from the Supreme Lord, as coming from the spiritual side, yes, we we are spiritualizing our existence. That's the key. That's the whole key to our consciousness. When we come, if you walk outside and everything that you see, you immediately relate back to the spiritual side of things. That's that's called self-realization. That is 
Yes, you're right. We are. Unfortunately, a lot of the times in the material world, not everyone does that. So we need to culture our consciousness. We need to work on it in good association with other people that are trying to see things that way, like when they walk out that all they see is God all around them. It does, we are a work in progress. It, there's some culture there. Anything else? Thank you so much for your association.